The belief that God became man and dwells among us in Jesus Christ is at the very heart of Orthodox Christian life and worship. Orthodox worship, therefore, involves the whole person, heart, mind, body, and soul. In our services of worship, Christians pray and sing in liturgies that are not of this world. Ancient Faith Radio now presents Singing the Triumphal Hymn with Father John Finley, exploring the Orthodox faith through music and liturgy. Father John is a composer and musician and is with the Missions and Evangelism Department of the Antiochian Orthodox Church. Here's Father John. We continue in our series on the sanctification of time, having discussed the liturgical cycle of the day and the liturgical cycle of the week. We now move into the liturgical cycle of the year. There are actually uh, two annual uh, or yearly cycles that run simultaneously, the one beginning at uh, Pascha, Easter, and the other beginning on September the 1st. And this date of September the 1st comes from the Old Testament and from the Jewish custom of uh, beginning the liturgical year on September the 1st. You know, there are a lot of things, and sometimes we feel like, uh, you know, as Christians, uh, the New Covenant, that uh, after the time of Christ, that everything in the Old Testament just kind of passed away or we got rid of it, but that's not really the case. There are a number of things that were fulfilled in Christ that we no longer do, like, you know, animal sacrifices and things like that, because he offered the ultimate sacrifice of, of himself. Uh, on the cross and uh, ascended into heaven, sprinkling his blood on the mercy seat. And so that fulfills and actually gets rid of, or we no longer practice uh, a lot of these uh, old sacrifices. But there are a lot of other customs and traditions that do uh, continue and pass over into the new covenant. And the beginning of the liturgical year is one of those. We have 12 great feasts in the church And then every day, you know, there are commemoration of saints uh, and such. But these 12 major ones I'd like to focus on for a few minutes here. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, Pascha, uh, Easter, is not one of those 12. It is the Feast of Feasts. It stands even outside this number of 12. The uh, three of these 12 feasts revolve around that date of Easter. Palm Sunday, of course, being the Sunday before Easter, Ascension Day being 40 days afterwards, and Pentecost Sunday being 50 days after Easter. The others, beginning in September, are as follows. On September the 8th, we have the birth of the Virgin Mary, Mother of God. On September 14th, the exaltation of the cross. November 21st, the presentation of the Virgin Mary, Mother of God, in the temple. December 25th, Christmas, of course, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. January 6th, uh, Epiphany, or uh, we say Theophany. February the 2nd, the meeting of the Lord, or presentation of the Lord in the temple. March 25th, the Annunciation of the Virgin Mary, Mother of God. August 6th, the Transfiguration of the Lord. And August 15th, the Falling Asleep of the Virgin Mary, Mother of God. 
one might ask if all these dates are are kind of arbitrary or you know where where did they come from and there is some development and involving various different criteria some based on the biblical record uh, some based on the dedication of a church in honor of this event or maybe some uh, historical event let's start with christmas and epiphany and see if we can kind of unpack some of this the oldest of these um, fixed uh, date feasts, we're told, is the Epiphany, January the 6th, called the Feast of Lights or the Festival of Lights, even in the uh, Jewish custom and uh, the Jewish custom of our day. Hanukkah is a Feast of Lights. It comes you know, in, in December. And, of course, our celebration of Epiphany, Theophany, in early January. In ancient times, all of these saving events in, in, of Christ's life were celebrated at Epiphany. His conception, his birth, his circumcision, his presentation in the temple, the visitation of the Magi, the baptism and the inauguration of his public ministry, all of these events were uh, celebrated in this one great feast. But during the time of the Christianization of the Roman Empire during the 4th century, there was an opportunity presented itself to begin sanctifying some of the pagan festivals and separating some of these things out. For instance... There was an ancient tradition or ancient uh, custom festival in the Roman Empire, the pagan empire, of worshiping the sun. And this principal feast was called the Feast of the Invincible Sun. And it took a place around the time of the winter solstice, uh, which occurs typically around December 21st, December 22nd. And, uh, of course, you can just... Uh, you can look up into the, into the sky. You can you can feel it. You know how the the darkness seems to be overcoming the light, and the days become, in terms of light, become shorter and shorter and shorter. In the northern hemisphere and North America, most of us experience you know around this winter solstice, maybe about nine hours of of light. I've got I've got friends up in Alaska that that tell me you know the sun doesn't come up till about. 10 and sets it two or something like something like that it was really short uh up there up on the top but during the this uh period of christianization you know the christians said said you know we know, we know who the invincible son is and it's not that ball up in, in the sky it's the lord jesus christ the light of the world god with us and so opportunity presented itself to take this feast to sanctify it, to give it a Christian meaning, and Christmas began to be held uh, at that time. You know, after uh, a few days, the the naked eye can perceive that now the light uh, of day is starting to grow longer, and the light is now overcoming the darkness. And so we sing that Jesus, the light of the world, is overcoming the darkness of the world. Well, having established that celebration of Christmas around December the 25th, 
then that gave rise for an opportunity to separate out some of these other saving events. For instance, we know from the biblical record that nine months, uh, that, that, well, I mean, we don't even need the biblical record to know that uh, pregnancy lasts for nine months, right? But, but um, looking at the annunciation of the angel Gabriel nine months before Christ was born, then we separate out this uh, Feast of the Annunciation nine months prior on March the 25th. And then a week after December 25th, we have the circumcision of the Lord. Forty days after the 25th on February the 2nd, we have the presentation of the Lord in the temple. It's interesting that in the in the Roman Church, this same feast is called the Purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and of course, you know both these things were happening simultaneously. She was coming uh, to fulfill this rite of the purification and to present her son in the in the temple, and according to the fulfillment of the law, and in our church. Although we call it the meeting of the Lord or the presentation of the Lord in the temple, we wear the liturgical colors and drape the church in the liturgical color of blue, which is the color for the Feast of the Virgin Mary. So we can see a real uh, connection there. Also, um, not one of the great uh, 12 great feasts, but uh, even we celebrate the uh, birth of John the Baptist six months before Christmas uh, on June the 24th because we learn from the biblical record in the Gospel of Luke that St. Elizabeth was uh, six months uh, uh, pregnant before the Virgin Mary was. So you can see how this begins to unfold after um, the December 25th is separated out from the celebration of the Epiphany. In the in the Roman Church, we celebrate the visitation of the Magi on January the 6th. In our church, the emphasis is on the Lord's baptism and his inauguration of his public ministry. But again, if you look back at the root, you can see that all of these things were celebrated anciently on January the 6th. Let's take a look at a few of the other feasts here going back to September. On September the 8th, we have the birth of the Virgin Mary, uh, Mother of God. And it's like, well, where where did that come from? You know, where did the September the 8th come from? There is a story and a custom in the tradition of the church that during the time of Pope Sergius I, uh, Bishop of Rome, 695 A.D. There was a monk who heard the angels singing in, a, you know, a dream or a vision, and they were singing hymns to the birth of the Virgin Mary. Well, he woke up and he went and he told the Pope, and they went into the church and they celebrated the liturgy, the Mass, and had the Holy Communion and celebrated the birth of the Virgin Mary. And they started doing it every year. And it caught on, and the whole church throughout the Roman Empire began to celebrate this feast on this day. Also, if we take a look at the presentation of the Virgin Mary, uh, Mother of God, in the temple, 
uh, approximately uh, 80 days later. We can see that feast celebrated uh, in Constantinople from at least uh, the time of about 730 uh, A.D. And uh, certainly uh, by the 12th century, but uh, evidently it did not pass in the west into the west uh, Western Europe until about uh, 1375. And so, you know, we get that date from a dream, <laughs> from a dream and a vision. <clears throat> September the 14th, uh, the exaltation of the cross um, has actually two events attached to it. One, the discovery of the cross itself by uh, St. Helen, and also the recovery of the cross after it had been stolen by the Persians, after it had been returned from uh, the Persians and presented back into the Church of the Resurrection in Jerusalem. St. Helen uh, discovered this cross probably about 327 A.D. And uh, so and the stealing the cross and its recovery came sometime after that. Anyway, we celebrate that on September the 14th. Finally, we come to uh, these two feasts in August, the Feast of the uh, Transfiguration of the Lord and the Feast of the Falling Asleep of the Virgin Mary, Mother of God. This Feast of the Transfiguration of the Lord probably has to do with the dedication of a church in the honor of the Transfiguration built on Mount Tabor and that it was dedicated on August the 6th. Also, the same thing with the uh, dedication of a church uh, to the falling asleep of the Virgin Mary, Mother of God, and its dedication on August the 15th. So we can see from these things that it's not totally arbitrary and that it is rooted in tradition, and this will give us confidence when we come to the celebration of various feasts that we have been doing these things according to the centuries-old tradition of the church, and this can give us confidence to enter into these celebrations with our heart and soul and mind. And that was Father John Finley with Singing the Triumphal Hymn, Exploring the Orthodox Faith Through Music and Liturgy. If you would like to write Father John, his email is singing at ancientfaith.com. That's singing at ancientfaith.com. This is a listener-supported presentation of Ancient Faith Radio. 